welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. We are starting a new series today. And I was, I was praying about this last night, and I, I just got, got the tingles and all that. And you guys know how I am about feelings. But I was very convinced by the Holy Spirit that we have been headed this direction on purpose to get to this moment. And as I, especially as I scan our family, our crowd, I know and, and love and appreciate all of you in a, in a unique way that maybe some of you may never experience from this side. And I have so much exhilaration over what God has been building and directing us toward, because I really think that we're about to do, is going to be the culmination of what he has been trying to have us get to for probably 10 or 11 years. Some of you may remember the series. We're about to have some, some artwork that's going to be somewhere in this building. I don't know where. I'm a very anti, those of you that know me, I'm utilitarian. I'm very like, you know, I hate grass. Just if it was up to me, I'd have, it'd be all concrete painted green and, and I'd, I'd, I just don't like the maintenance that's associated with all the other stuff. I was a mechanic and I've always been in charge of fixing everything that breaks at the house. And so I'm just like, man, just the less number of things that can break or get funky, the better it is for me. So I've been very anti-decoration, anti-whatever. All the gals that are here that are in my life, they have figured out how to manipulate me good. That's why the place doesn't look like it's made out of concrete and painted white. Like You can't go to church, feel like you're in a padded room. Like, well, some people need to go to a padded room. <laughs> so we have one piece of art that I've approved, which came from Judy Love because I think that is part of the culture of what our church is, which is Jesus defending the woman caught in the act of adultery. I preached on that story incessantly. That was me. That woman behind Jesus, that was me. I was caught in the act. I, my life was jacked up. I was, I was a mess. I was worthy of condemnation, shame, death, and guilt. I was caught in the act. Life caught me in the act, and Jesus defended me. So that's the only art that we basically have ever had. I've given Jessica a little bit of freedom in the foyer because it's already purple, so I just kind of ignore it. But in the sanctuary, I've kind of protected it. But the staff, 
uh, two of the guys on staff, praise God, have come up with an idea for some decoration, which is going to be the series that we've done. They've taken the skins from those series and they framed them. And so shortly you're going to see the series that we've done. And as I was thinking about this, going into this series, I realized how this is so God. God is so infinitely omnipotent. He knows everything infinitely. And I'm standing there getting ready to go into this. And I was reflecting back on King and Kingdom and soul success and the hero within. Some of those you were here for, some of them, some of you were not here for. In fact, I would say the majority of this room was not here for most of that. And I, now I can see, in retrospect, looking back, I can see like God was putting this information in people, putting this information in people, putting this information in people, and then we got to here. I'm saying this because if you were not here for soul success, king and kingdom, and all of the hero within, please get a copy of all that. It's all free on YouTube. We have USBs that will give you free. There's many ways to skin that cat. And the reason I want you to do that is not so I can get views. If you get a USB, we don't, nobody even knows how many times you watched it. So I, I don't, I'm not trying to become popular. I want you to understand that God has ordained you to be a part of this family, to be a part of this culture, to do something. There's no unimportant person in a family. There's no invaluable body part. And we are doing this together. And I honestly can see how God has orchestrated like a symphony, what he plans to do, that we're going to be, we're going to be carrying a resonance into this world, into this culture, into this society. We, beloved church, and I know some of you are like, whatever, little church in Lena, you think what you want. Because I've already gone around the world and have had multiple people from multiple countries, not only just American places that have testified to the fact that we have impacted them. And we've only just begun. I'm a young man. We're going to be doing something. And so as we go into this, please don't think like I'm, I was bored. And so I'm like, hey, let's do a series, y'all. This has been delicately and infinitely orchestrated by the Holy Spirit for us to get here. So the name of this series that we're going into is called Foundation Stones. And if you, if you think about the words, the stones are you and I. That is what God has called us, that we are a unique group of people that he has put together on purpose as stones. The scriptures say living stones, which is a radical concept. And the reason you're not a brick is because bricks are just zombified off the, off the marketing trail of whatever 
someone's trying to produce, you're, you're coming out of a factory off an assembly line, just stamp, 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 stamp. And there's a lot of cultures, there's a lot of Christian cultures that are trying to do that. I'm not. I don't want anybody in here to be like me. That should have been a way bigger amen than that. I want you to be who God created you to be in Christ. Not just who you're created to be, but in Christ. Because some people take a statement like that. Yeah, that's right. God wants me to have spiky pink hair and, and 4,000 tattoos and a chain coming off my nose onto the floor. No, that's not the way God created diversity. That's you played it up. What God wants you to be is diverse internally. And I'm not going to spend any time on this because this is not where I want to go, but I do want to say this because now someone's going to say, well, Steve hates pink hair and tattoos. <sighs> so you always got to like balance everything all the time so nobody takes you the wrong way. No, whatever. If you, if you got pink hair and tattoos, God bless you. Hope it, hope it works for you. Hope it gives you warm fuzzies. But I want you to consider something. In the biblical culture that God showed us how to do this, the first church, you do realize they all dressed exactly the same. They had the same haircuts. All the guys had the same beards, as good as they can figure it out. They might have had a little bit of color. They might, and I'm not saying like they were... I'm saying that that culture was very, it was a very normal, normalized culture where basically everybody was like t-shirt and jeans. They, they didn't express their individuality by some overt display of the external. Man, I hope this is resonating with you. And I'm not talking about Greek culture. I'm not talking about Roman culture because obviously the secular side of this, they could be messed up. I'm talking about the church. The church looked like regular people. And they weren't because of the inside part. And so I'm not saying I you know, doing your hair up and doing your nail. I'm not, don't take this the wrong. I'm saying that what Jesus created in the first church was a group of people that were incredible on the inside that didn't have to show people that by the outside plating of the hair, decorating of their temples. They were secure enough being diverse and unique and special and the handiwork of God on the inside that they didn't have to take it to the extreme on the outside. Now, having said that, come to church pretty, wear clothes, wear clothes, take a shower, do all the stuff, but don't think that there's going to be something external that you're going to do and everybody's going to say, and you're going to say, hey, look at me, look how special I am because of my external thing. That's not who God created you to be. When it says living stones, 
We're unique and individuals on the inside, our hearts, and fit together with the, with the grout of the Holy Spirit, with the love of God fit together, we become impenetrable. We become a castle, a fortress for the kingdom and the king. Amen. And foundation is going to give me a lot of opportunity to do things that I have not done well in the past. Foundation is I am going to go through this series. I'm going to try to be as purposeful as I can of saying, this is what we believe in our culture. And I, I have not done this very well. There's things that I've thrown out there. There's times that I've covered stuff. Um, there's insinuations that I've made. I've even had someone come and say, hey, you said this the other day in one of your sermons. What did you mean by that? I'm like, that's a big deal around here. That's part of our culture. Those are, those are our words. And this person's like, sorry, I didn't know. And I'd realize like, it's big on the inside of me. Anybody ever done that thing like, you know something, so you think everybody knows something? Okay, well, praise God. So we're all there. So there's things that I'm like, you don't know that? And the answer is no. How would I know that? You don't get these things by osmosis. You have to be taught things in the kingdom of God. You have to be shown things. You have to understand things. In formation, if you break that word down, it means the formation on the inside of you. You have to inform, information is what we're supposed to be doing in the kingdom, is forming the inside of people so that that is solid, so that the foundations are strong, so that when any storm, any problem of life comes along, your foundation is rock, stone, solid. That's my job. That's my job. And I have not done a good job of this, so I'm repenting, I'm apologizing to you, but we're going to fix it. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through some of the foundational principles that I believe that we, not only we as beloved church in our culture, but we as believers are supposed to have solidly formed on the inside of us. And if I do this well, everybody be praying for me and believing for me. If I do this well, there's not a single problem in this life that will ever come and shake your foundation. So be believing for me because me doing this well makes you very successful. So today, this, I'm going to introduce and then move into one of the core principles, which is baptism. And I want, I want you to, I want us all to make sure that we truck this together. So every part of this, I'm going to honestly try to take my time on it. Usually when I do series, I'm just like, Man, just get this out there, do it really fast, and, get, and move on because all, there's all this other information. And I've gone in, I've told the Lord, I'm going into this, and we'll take whatever time we got to take to do whatever we got to do because I want it right. Yeah. Do you want to prefab order it from Big Lot's house? Or do you want a mansion built by skilled craftsmen that every single part of it was, was done in such a way that even people that visit your house say, man, who did your trim? You've never walked into a prefab house and you're like, wow, is that the place where all of the drywall came together and I can still see the crack? Yep. No, I, when, I, 
we grew up in poor places and we lived in a lot of trailers. And it, when, when Kay and I finally had a real home, we had a brick home in Texas, was our first, first house that Kay and I ever bought. I think it was $60,000. And it was a brick home. And I remember thinking like, man, these walls are quiet. Because <laughs> when you grow up in a trailer, you know, you'd, you whisper at one end of the trailer and it like gets magnified through the venting system. Me and, oh boy. <laughs> hey mom, love you. <laughs> Me and Tim, my little brother, we used to sit over top of the, the vents and we could hear all the conversations in all the house from all the people. Because it was a well-built house. <laughs> it was a trailer, and all that stuff was connected. You could hear everything going on in the house. And that's not what we're building. We're going to build something that's strong, something that's beautiful. And if you don't understand God's definition of what this is supposed to look like, go read the multiple chapters that were written in multiple different books about how God designed the temple. It was overlaid, the inside of the temple was overlaid four inches thick in gold. Those of you that got an issue with prosperity, take that one up. That, that's a big deal. And they ask for offerings for that. We're not doing that around here. I'm just saying, God, when God builds something, oh boy. So if he's going to build something on the inside of you, anticipate that he's going to build something. And it is going to be awesome. Matthew chapter 7 in the NLT. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm not going to do context for Sermon on the Mount because I don't have an hour to do that. But this is like the, the place of Scripture that is, that is New Testament recognized as kind of the, the pinnacle of where Christianity points to. I, I would super love to give you tons of revelations about how important this was. In Matthew 5, 6, 7, and 8, which are basically filled with red ink, Jesus at this point in this book, and the reason that Matthew was the first book was because all of Christianity recognized that they wanted the most important gospel to be first, and I know that you're, that you're going to struggle with some of that stuff, but believe it or not, there was humans involved in the whole process of what you have in your lap known as the canon, the Bible. And I know that just throws some people off. Like, no, God just, this just floated down from heaven and landed on somebody's bed and they handed me the King James 1611. Like, no, they didn't. Didn't happen that way. There's been tons of work and I'm not going to get into all that. But they, the, the church fathers is what they're called, the, the first two or three centuries of people that um, formed what you and I know as Christianity today and the way they canonized the scriptures, this was what they did. They, they believed that they put the most important and honestly it was one of the oldest of the gospels and they put it first because they believed that it was important for people to get first. And Matthew was, the book of Matthew was written to Jews. There's, there's a lot of Judaism going on in that book that most of us Gentile Christians will miss huge nuances to, but 
One of the things is, is that this entire story, this Sermon on the Mount with his Matthew 5, 6, 7, and 8 is when he came down, these chapters were, were in direct parallel to the Exodus story and Moses. So Jesus was the new Exodus story and Jesus was the new Moses that written to a Jew, like that has huge impact, huge impact. And so the parallel, Matthew, I mean, it was, there was places it was word for word parallel so that he knew that everybody under, was tracking the same way that he was writing this. And if you think about that, that means that the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is the Torah for the Christian. This is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy for the Christian. Jesus preached Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as the new law for the new people that were coming out of slavery, that were being exodus into the promised land through him, Jesus, the one that parted the seas. He's the one that baptized us in the water. Jesus is the new Moses bringing the new people from slavery of the world into the kingdom of God. And this is his great sermon on the mount, the same way that Moses had the declarations that were done at, the, at Mount Sinai. And so this is our new Ten Commandments. This is our new Torah. And so these are incredibly, incredibly important places in Scripture. Scholars and theologians are always, always, always pointing to the Sermon on the Mount as like the doctrines of Christ. So please know these, this part of your Scripture very, very well. And in here, Jesus tells a parable in John chapter 7. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Anyone. Not just a Jew. Not just a child of Abraham. This is something that was unique for Jesus ministering this message. This was for anybody that would. Anyone who listens to my teaching. And I'm not going to praise God. There's so many parallels that are going off in my head right now. Some of you know the Shema, which is what the Jews recite three times a day, every morning, afternoon, and evening. They recite this, and they recite this as a family oftentimes, and the Shema is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. That's the beginning of it. And the word Shema comes from the first word in that in Hebrew, which is listen. The word listen in Hebrew is Shema. And that is the word for obey. So when God said listen, what he actually said was obey. But listen, but obey. He, he literally believed that if you actually heard what he had to say, it would produce the fruits of action, of doing. And us parents, we've kind of used this before because we'd tell the kid, you know, like, you know, Gunner, go clean your, well, we never told Gunner to clean his room. Uh, Gunner, take your stinky football stuff and go put it outside because it's nasty. Um, 
and then he doesn't jump up right away and go grab his football stuff and take it outside, what do you say? Did you hear me? Why did you say that? Of course he heard you. The reason you said that is because you actually believe as a parent that if your kid heard you, they would automatically do. This is what God thinks. Did you hear me? Well, yes, God, I heard you. I read the Bible. Yeah, but you're, you're not doing it. Did you hear me? Yes, I heard you. Just like a teenager, right? That's how we do God. Yeah, God, I heard you. Da, 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 stuff and things. Be good and love people. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows here and do is wise. So Jesus' definition of a foolish person is either you don't listen, which there's tons of those people in the world. The fool has said, it says three places in the Old Testament, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The first definition of a fool is a person who thinks there's no God. And Lord have mercy on their soul. And that's a special kind of stupid. To look at this world and to think there's no God, it just happened, is, that's, that's extra stupid. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. That is the non-Christian version of a fool. So then what's the Christian version of a fool? A person who knows there's a God and doesn't listen. And there's lots of people that don't know the scriptures, don't read the scriptures, and they call themselves Christians. I just had a, a gal the other day. I was ministering to her, helping her out. And um, she, she kept saying, she said two or three times in the conversation, well, I just love Jesus. And I'm like, okay. When you say you love Jesus, define that for me. Well, you know, he's awesome and pretty and what, I don't know what she said. And I said, John chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then in verse 14, I think it says, the, or 17, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when you say Jesus, one of the ways you could translate that is say the word. Every time you say Jesus, you say the word because the word is Jesus, Jesus is the word. So when a person says, I love Jesus, and they don't love the word, they're not being honest. Somebody correct my math. And so I did this with this gal, and she's like, well, you know, I just, I just, I struggle to read the Bible, I don't understand it. I, I said, I said, oh, do you, are you dyslexic? Do you just not know how to read well? Is it just reading in general? She's like, oh no, I love to read the blogs on the thing. And I'm like, so you can spend time deciphering, thinking about, interacting with these writings from random people, and you, those you understand, but Jesus, your creator, the one you love, his words you don't understand? I've had this conversation with guys before, like sports guys. You know, they can tell you ERAs and stats and stuff and who won the World Series, you know, 35 years ago and by what score. And I'll say, 
How many Gospels are there? I don't know about the Bible stuff. I, had, I, used, I used to be a mechanic, and so I had mechanic friends all the time. And they can tell you, like, the, the gap settings on spark plugs that go in a 1969 Camaro with a 350, four-bolt main. Like, you know, the plugs are supposed to be gapped at 0.35. Man, that's, you just knew that? Yeah, I knew that. Oh, awesome. So what is the whole duty of man? What? What is the whole duty of man? The Bible says the whole duty of man is, I, I, I don't know. Okay. What's the five-fold ministry? Five what? what? What are the gifts of the Spirit? Fruit of the Spirit? Can you spell Jesus? <laughs> Give me something. You, they can memorize the gap settings on a, on a 350s, 1969 Camaro. So it's not an intelligence thing. It's an interest thing. It's a heart thing. I don't want to know what the fruit of the Spirit is. I might be accountable for that. Maybe one day me knowing the gap settings on a spark plug for a 69 Camaro will make me an awesome person in the room because I'll be able to answer the question or help the guy. You know, you knowing the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit will make you way more awesome and way more beneficial in nearly any room that you ever walk into. But we don't believe that. Because if we believe that, we would interact with that information. This happens all the time in our world today with politics. People think that if they really know all the politics stuff, and they really know how much the government lied to them, that's going to help them make sure that the government don't lie to them again. Really? Let, let me help you. The government lies. Is that, is that clear? Got it? Okay, now let's move on into the scriptures. Jesus is true. He's always true. He'll never lie to you. So you can interact with Jesus all day long and you never have to filter it because he's always going to tell you the truth. Now you can waste all day interacting with politics and government and news and fake news and all. You can do that all day long and by the end of the day you're going to be really mentally wore out because you don't know what's good, you don't know what's bad, what's true, what's a lie. It's just way better to just interact with the truth. Jesus said that what makes a person wise is to listen to his teaching and follow. Listen and follow. Be okay. Stay up here. There's still a section of Christianity that is foolish even after they listen. In a way, it could be a little bit more foolish to listen and not follow. I, I, I hesitate in some of this stuff because I just know, like, this is the place where you get too close to somebody's sandbox and, and they just check 
they're done, we're done. You just said something I don't like. So I'll take, I'll make it into me. I, I'll be the, I'll be the scapegoat. Steve Castle listened a lot. My dad was a pastor and we went to church 462 times an hour. We lived at the church. I've slept at the church. There's days that we went to the church and didn't leave and we were at the church. We slept there, we ate there, we got beat there. I mean, it was, it was all day church day. And it multiple times. There's times that we did conferences that it was seven days and you might as well just bring a sleeping bag and put it under the chairs. That's just how Cheryl's been there. I've listened to more teaching than probably most, if not anybody in this room. And it impacted me so awesome that at 20 years old, I was so far gone that if Jesus wouldn't have physically got in my car and rescued me, I'd be dead today. Man, let me, let me make sure I connect that. I've probably heard more teaching, more preaching than anybody in this room. And it didn't impact me enough to stop me from almost self-destructing by 20 years old. It's not just the listening that's going to get you there. In fact, in some ways, the listening will make you a worse person. You know how many people I've witnessed to that said, I know the Bible. And they'll quote me some, well, you know, the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. Like, do you have a clue what that even means? Do you know what Jesus was teaching about when you whip out your scripture to try to tell me to stop witnessing to you? <laughs> a little bit of information, a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of brain space for the scriptures is more dangerous than none. I'll take the person that has never been in church that stumbles in here drunk and gets radically encountered at the altar and then they sit here with a completely blank slate because now we can write truth on there and they're not going to argue with me. But if you went to the Methodist church for 20 years and then the Lutheran church for 30 years and then you went, you know, and then you were super Pentecostal and then you came in here, you're going to argue with everything I say for the next 10 years. And I'm not going to stop saying it because it's still true, but you're going to struggle with it for 10 years. When Kay and I got born again, born ag I was born again again, <laughs> which I know is terrible theology, but it's, I don't know how else to say it. Kay was born again for the first time. I was born again because Jesus gave me mercy. And we were two weeks apart. She was two weeks behind me. And we went, we were hair on fire, wheels off, all in for Jesus. Our friends thought that we were gone, and we probably were. They were like, what cult did you guys get into? The Jesus cult. And we were, it was all day, every day, all Jesus, all Bible, all teaching, all, I mean, we just couldn't get enough. We were devouring it. And two years later, we go to Bible college, and I'm in Bible college, and so I'm listening to every tape I can get from Andrew Womack, and I got four hours a day 
five days a week, Bible college, and we had to go to church three times or four times a week, and plus Kay and I served at the church, and we served at the Bible college, and I had a job, and she had a job. Figure all that out. And after about three or four years, I remember I was like, and we were radically changing, radically changing. You can't do all that and not radically change. And about four years in, I remember there was something that we really needed to see God, um, to see God connect with us on our faith. We were really believing God for something important. And Kay outfaithed me. And you know, the man part of me and the super cool Christian part of me, I grew up all my whole life in the church. Woman, let me tell you about something. And she outfaithed me because she just believed. I had all the reasons. I had all the scriptures. I had all the reasons. I had all the principles. I had all the doctrines. I had all the stuff and the things. And she had faith. Guess which one is more important? We were four years in and she was farther than me. She outran me because she didn't have to erase. She didn't have to erase all the stupid and start writing the truth. I did. After four years, she was farther because she took the truth and ran with it. I had to take the truth and meditate on it and think about it and let it go back in and rewrite the stuff. Well, you know, I heard this in one sermon, but now the scripture says this. What do I do with that? She didn't have to do that. She just read the Bible, say, oh, okay, that's the way it works. We'll do that. You can't just read it and believe it. You got to argue with it. You got to boil it over. You got to chew it like a cow chews its cud. Come on, baby. Don't you know anything? No, nah, not really. I'm just going to believe that. <laughs> Thank God she saved our family's hides multiple times because I was still working out my religion. And so if you did spend 20 years in Methodist and 30 years, I'm not, I'm not naysaying any of those folks, but I'm saying if you're in this environment and what comes from this pulpit, if it goes sideways to something on the inside of you, ask me. I've got nothing to hide. I'm not hiding from anybody. If you have questions and you don't have answers, that's on you. We do Q&A every other month. And everybody in here should know my phone number and email. And so if you're being cantankerous with something that's going on here, you just have a bad attitude. <laughs> and it's going to hinder you from growing. I had a bat. Remember how this whole thing started? I had one. I had it all figured out. I was smarter than every preacher I listened to. Amen? I was the best. And then you fall on your face about five or six times, you figure out maybe somebody should help you learn how to walk. So I went to someone and had him help me learn how to walk. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows is wise. And notice what Jesus calls a wise person. Someone who builds their house on solid rock. That's his definition of wise. Having your foundation on solid rock. 
This is what I'm intending to do over whatever length of time that we're going to be building together. Verse 25, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because, because, because it's built on bedrock. That's why. It's not because it's, it looks good. It's not because everybody oohs and ahs when they drive by and they see the awesome house. It's not because you got tons of money in it. It's not even because you hired that one guy who's the best guy to come and build it. The reason that it's not going to collapse in the storms of life, in the pressures of life, is because it was built on bedrock. Verse 26, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish. <laughs> this is Jesus' words, not mine. He says it's foolish to hear and not do. Amen. Like a person who builds a house on sand. And I know you're thinking like, well, duh, who would do that? Come on now. All of us. If you're breathing, you built something on something temporal, on something false, on some lie that you were told, some religious dogma, some, some good old boy that taught you the thing, or some terrible life experience that you had. Well, you know, my first boyfriend treated me terrible, so now all guys suck. I, there's, I know you're thinking like, ha ha, that's funny. You know there's people like that, right? I went to church one time, one Sunday, and one guy looked across the room at me and gave me a funky look. I will never go to church again because those Christians are terrible. What? That happens, y'all. People build the foundations of their life on ignorant, wrong, bad things. And many people build them on lies. Many people build them on lies. And so I'm going to be purposeful about taking the time to making sure that we know what the solid rock, and I love it, that this whole worship set this morning, I don't know if you picked up on this, we said Jesus like 75 times. Every one of those songs was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's the solid rock. You build on anything besides Jesus, you are in for a crushing. Like a person who builds a house on sand, verse 27, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. This is one, this verse, I, I can remember where I was sitting and I can remember what happened on the inside of me when I got the revelation of this verse. Let me point out a couple things. One, it doesn't say if, it says when. Hey, welcome to Christianity. You're going to have persecution. 
You're going to have problems. You're going to have temptation. You're going to have tons of stuff in life come after you on purpose to collapse your house. Yay, here's the good news. Welcome to Christianity. If you don't want problems and you don't want persecution and you don't want all the issues that go with it, then quit Christianity. Go out there and be with the world. They're all just happy-go-lucky. Get you all the loans you want. Get you a job. Get you some addictions and just have at it. You'll have a great time out there. I mean, your soul will be a mess, but it'll be cool. You'll be with everybody. You'll have tons of support. If you're going to do this, if you're going to do authentic, genuine Christianity, guess what? Pain, problems, persecution. There's going to be people that come against you. I know, it's shocking. I just want to be a good person. All these people don't want me to be a good person. No kidding. You're mucking up their system. They don't want you to muck it up. They've been building it for thousands of years. And then you come along, get all filled with the Spirit of Christ, and you think you're going to shine light in their dark places. Nobody invited you. I know, but Jesus told me to go. Who's Jesus? You're not, it's not going to be if the storms come. It's not going to be if the floods come. It's not going to be if the winds beat on your house. It's when. And don't think that you've had one big storm and that's, whoo! Done. Rocked it. Had that storm, came along. Sometimes, some of the reasons you have the storms in your life is because you were sitting on your laurels. If you stay diligent and you stay involved, you're like, are those clouds? I think those are clouds over there. Hey, honey. I think there's a storm coming. Let's put all the stuff in the garage. Let's make sure we, you know, batten down the hatches or whatever it is you do. You, you know what the fool is? Man, we went through that big storm last year, right, honey? Woohoo! There'll never be another storm. And then I'm sitting in the house watching Netflix, chilling. And I wake up the next morning, the shed's gone, the trees are gone, the car's gone. What happened? A tornado came through here. You didn't see it like there was clouds forever. No, I didn't have to look. Why did I have another storm? Oh, you don't think that they keep coming? No, I, I did my service. I checked the box. I, I won. I, got, I went through the storm. Oh, well, God bless you. There's going to be more. They, 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 they actually keep coming. There, there's still wind out there. I'm shocking some people. It's going to happen. And notice the, intense, uh, the intention of the storm is to collapse your house. If you feel like giving up, that's the purpose of the storm. Just lay down. I mean, you're not going to win. It's a storm. It's bigger than you. What are you going to fight against the weather? Are, do you think you're going you're gonna to win against gravity? You know, eventually every house has to fall. You know, we'll sing a country and western song that's made Christian. Like, oh, woe is me. I just need some amazing grace. 
And then we allow our Christianity to say, well, I guess God just wanted my house to fall. The sovereignty of God. You never know what God's going to do. Maybe God just wanted this house to completely collapse and my whole family to get devastated and everything in my life to get destroyed so I could look up and see Jesus. That is terrible doctrine. Terrible doctrine. God wanted you to build a house that you could be safe inside, sitting with your wife, feet propped up, putting another log on the fireplace, talking about all the great things that Jesus is doing while the storm is raging its little heart out outside. That's what God wants it to have happen in your life. But you're going to have the storms. The intention of the storm is to collapse your house. Some of you may be there now. A good foundation is essential for building any structure. It is the base that supports the entire structure and keeps it from sinking or collapsing. A well-built foundation will also help to protect the building from the elements and the environment. If you haven't noticed, our environment is dangerous. They're out there with Vaccine needles, they got masks, they got, I mean, they, they're coming after us with everything. They, they're going to take your taxes, they're going to send cluster bombs to Ukraine. I mean, they're, they're looking for every opportunity they can to come after and destroy humanity. So what are you going to do? Going to hide in a basement six feet apart and rock in the fetal position and sing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star? Because some people are out there doing it. This is an image of what Jesus was just talking about. And Kay and I have actually seen, I don't know if it's this house. You can put the house up, the beach house. Um, I don't know if we've seen this house, but Kay and I were down in Galveston. We took the kids on a, on a bucket list is what we called it. When we knew we were leaving Texas, we literally took a piece of paper and said, okay, what's all the things we gotta do in Texas before we leave Texas? Because we don't know if we're coming back to Texas. So we had a Texas bucket list, and one of the bucket lists was to go hang out on the beach in Galveston. And we went there right after the hurricane, I think it was Katrina. Uh, that, and there was still a ton of the beach that was jacked up. And we actually seen houses like this. And just so you know, this house, this isn't, this isn't some old jacked up garbage house. This is a legit, this is probably a two or three million dollar house. You don't build a two or three million dollar house and not think it through. This was on, they, they put the foundation in there. If you've ever seen these houses on the beach like in Galveston because it, there's no rise, you know, forever and ever and ever. You can drive for like 50 miles and, the, and you're like three inches above sea level. It's just like it's flat forever. And these houses are built, you can see in between the stairwell and the house itself, there's the, those little uh, wooden pillars. They build those pillars and they sink these foundation, this concrete foundation sometimes 50 and 75 feet to hit something solid. And they didn't build the house right. I'll guarantee the people that bought that house believed that it was built right. Why would you give them money? They believe that house was built to withstand the storm. And it didn't. 
the most arrogant thing you could do is think that all the places in your life you've built it to withstand the storms and then to ignore things like what we're about to go into in building these foundations. This is the end result of a person who listened and didn't do that Jesus was talking about. Let me use a more famous example, next picture. This is called the Leaning Tower of Pizza. This building is, was built in 1173. Amen. That's older than even some of the people in our room. <laughs> now, check this out. It was built basically as the final trophy to the cathedral complex that they were building there in Pisa. It was built out of solid white marble. And it was to flaunt the wealth and the military victories that Pisa, which was an Italian city-state, had accomplished. This was literally like their, uh, their arrogant, narcissistic centerpiece. Look what we've done. We're awesome Pisa city-state. If you're, if you're a human and you remember what you used to be, you're kind of getting that little poke on the inside of you because there was a point in your life that you built the most awesome version of you ever. And you came out of the closet and you said, here I am. And the world said, really? That? What? What's wrong with me? You're leaning. <clears throat> it began sinking after only the third of the eight stories. <laughs> I, I could imagine... All the little Italian people running around there like, ah, she's a sinking. <laughs> but I paid you lots of money. This is the most important thing. This is white marble, bucko. I don't know if bucko's Italian or not, but you don't you know there was some heads that were going to roll. You had one job. <laughs> Build a tower. And it's sinking. It was intended to be eight stories tall, but because of the soft ground composed of clay, fine sand, and shells from the Arno and Sergio rivers, the foundation was not strong enough even after the third level to hold the building solid. War broke out between this Italian state and a bunch of other ones, and so they halted the construction of it for a century. Sounds like the government today. Sounds like I-20. Are they going to fix that road? Yeah, 20 years. But they collected all those extra taxes. Shh, 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 shh. Let it go. <clears throat> it was resumed 100 year, almost 100 years later by an engineer, Giovanni, <laughs> who decided to make the remaining stories slightly taller on the short side to compensate for the leaning. I got it! They were Italians, not Germans. <laughs> but this makes sense, right? Hey, I've got all these problems in my life this way. Here's what I'll do. I'll just prop it up. Nobody will notice. Nobody will notice that these stories are taller over here. They totally won't figure it out. I'll hide it. 
I'll hide all my problems behind the visual facade of what I can build on Facebook and nobody will know. I know you're thinking like, this is a great plan. I've actually done this plan. Are you looking at the picture? But the additional weight of the extra masonry on the short side caused the structure to sink still farther. Ah, dang it! So you're saying the extra weight of building the extra length is going to make it sink more? Who'd have thunk? Not the Italian engineer, obviously. Think about that next time you buy a Lamborghini. The project was plagued, this is a quote, the project was plagued with interruptions as engineers sought solutions to the leaning problem. But the tower was ultimately topped out in the 14th century. That's 300 years after they started. This is what the, this is the best humanity can do. You want to build the best version of you your life, your family, your marriage, your finances, your health. I hope you got 300 years and some good Italian engineers. And this is the end result. This is, this stands as the visual verification that the best humanity can do is never anywhere good as what God can do. Don't you know God could take like his pinky finger and go, eee? The twin spiral staircases that lined the tower's interior were 294 steps leading from the ground to the bell chamber. One staircase had to have two additional steps to compensate. <laughs> Over the next four centuries, the tower's seven bells were installed because they still got a leg. Hey, uh, we, we meant for it to lean, so we're going to put the bells up there and do what we intended for it to do. What's your problem? Don't be judging me. Stop judging our tower. We made it that way on purpose. One of these bells weighed 6,000 pounds. That's not going to be a problem. Engineers, you know what conversation Scott Downs and I have every time I'm over at Elite Automotive? how much we don't like engineers that build cars. It's, it's just a nonstop. We've had this conversation now for 11 years. It just, it, you just pause it and you pick it back up next time you, you're like, why did they put the engineers? By the early 20th century, however, the heavier bells were silenced as it was believed that even their movement and sound were potentially worsening the tower's lean. <laughs> okay, don't ring the bells because it makes it lean more. <laughs> Ultimately, after great expense and an army of modern engineers, stabilization work was successfully completed in 2001. That's 900 years. And that's the end result. That's the end result. 900 years. And the best engineering that we can do. And they think it's stabilized now. This is a Christian. 
This is, this is the arrogance of a Christian. I got this. Hey, I, I noticed that you built your life and it looks like, you know, you're like 30 years in. There's a little lean to it. Hey, 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 hey. You better shut your face. Built that lean on purpose. Okay. And then you add another layer and you add another layer. Nobody even stops to think, you know, maybe we should stop. Go back, start over. I know, I know it's expensive. I know it's going to be humiliating. It's going to be painful. It's going to take a lot of extra time, a lot of extra energy. Think of, think of all the things that people are going to say to us that see it. I know, but as your pastor, I'm trying to say, maybe it's better for us to just back it on up, go on back to the foundation, and, and we'll fix the foundation part, and then we'll build it. It'll be a pretty tower. Everybody will come and visit it. We can ring the bells, and it won't fall over. Eh, I don't think I like your attitude, preacher. I got this. Okay. You got this. What do I know? It was 200 years ago uh, that they removed some of the foundation from the north side and they injected cement under the south side and then it started to lean the other way too quickly. You know, when you study history, sometimes you're just like, this is so boring. And then other times you're like, are you for real? <laughs> is this a sitcom? No, this is history. Here are some important reasons why a good foundation is important for a building. Support. The foundation is responsible for supporting the weight of the building and preventing it from sinking or collapsing. Stability, a good foundation will help keep the building stable and prevent it from swaying or moving in strong winds or earthquakes. Those storms that Jesus talked about in Matthew 7. Protection, the foundation can help to protect the building from the elements such as wind, rain, and snow. Durability, a good foundation will help keep the building standing for many years to come. In Ephesians 4, Verse 11, it says, And it was he, Jesus, who gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry and to build up. Build up. My job is to build up. Other ministers... Their job in your life is to build up. There might be times that in their building up that they might want to say, hey, uh, this part of the foundation, we're going to have to deal with that. Nuh-uh, just build, buddy. Just give me the three principles and the four, and the four steps, and, and we're just going to, but this, this dirt right here, ah, build. I'm paying you to build, now build. I had somebody tell me that one time. He said, we're paying you to preach, so just preach. I'm like, dude, you preach. Mm. It was one of those times that I was happy to be saved. <laughs> to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ until we all. A lot of people that see these scriptures, they, 
forget that part until we all. Notice I'm not building you individually. I'm building we and me. I'm in the we. I'm part of Beloved Church. We are building together, which means that if somebody doesn't want to build, till we all reach unity. There's no unity without all. You ever think about it? There's people that uh, I've counseled them in marriage. I'm like, well, we're not in unity in this place. You know, he and I, I'm like, there's two of you. I'm trying to get 200 people at Beloved Church to be in unity. There's two of you. Like, agree. Well, well, I don't like his point. He don't like my point. Somebody give up. Agree. <laughs> okay, that didn't go over very well. Yeah, you're right, Pastor. He should. Okay. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God as we mature. So notice that building Unity and maturity are all incorporated together. No maturity, no building, no unity. And to the full measure of the stature of Christ, that's a pretty awesome building right there. The full measure of the stature of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants <laughs> tossed about by the waves and carried around by every wind. Notice the correlation to what Jesus was talking about. Wind some of the winds that are going to hit your house are the winds of teaching and by clever cunning of men and the deceitful scheming. Some of the things that happen to your house are that right there. Doctrines are some of the storms in your life. 15, instead, speak the truth in love. We will, we will in all things grow up into Christ himself who is the head. From him, the whole body. Remember Jesus that we sang about all morning? From him, the whole body, fitted and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. What makes us stones? The love of God. Through the work of each individual part. If you don't have your individual part, I don't get to pick up your slack. Amen? You know, this is common in our world today. It's socialism, it's union, it's, sorry, didn't mean to say that. If you're in a union, I love you. But it, this is how it is. Like, you don't, as long as this guy over here is working twice as hard and this guy is working half as hard and the job gets done, it's all good. It doesn't work that way. I have to do my part. So do you. It's bigger than me. It's not just about my paycheck. It's about what we're supposed to be building together. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. Futility. It's futile to go out there and say, this is my plan. I got it figured out. I'm going to build me a crooked tower, and I'm going to get me a pension. I'm going to spend 40 years in my job, and this is how I'm going to figure out life. But God has a different way. Shh. Got it. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. You know, if I said these things, people would walk out on me. 
But because I'm reading it from the Bible, folks are like, oh, yeah, Paul's awesome. <laughs> but I want you to think about that. That is all up in your P's and Q's. They're darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. If there's any Gentile left in you, that's what Paul calls it. They are darkened in their understanding. Verse 19, having lost all sense of shame, <laughs> they have given, sorry, having lost all sense of shame, they have given themselves over to sensuality for the practices of every kind of impurity with a craving for more. Anybody know these people? I do. But this is not the way you came to know Christ. This is not the way. That's a play on Star Wars right in your face. They think that's the way. That is not the way. There is one way, Jesus Christ. 21, surely you've heard of him and were taught of him in keeping with the truth that is in Jesus to put off your former way of life, your old self. Who puts it off? Well, that's your job, preacher. Uh-uh. That's my wife's job. Uh-uh. Who puts it off? I put it off. That means you got to recognize it. You don't put off something that you don't recognize. Does any, is anybody like me and there's times that things are going on in my life that I don't necessarily recognize it and I need help recognizing it? You put off the former way of life, your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And to put on. Who puts on? Same person that took off. You, you, when you were a little kid, someone taught you how to dress yourself. And Jesus is playing on it. Jesus believes that you can take off the dirty clothes, put them where they belong, and put on the clean clothes. He expects you to do it. <clears throat> and put on the new self that's created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained their senses to distinguish good from evil. The first steps in building an eternal spiritual foundation, the number one step is the gospel. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to anybody that will believe. So when you hear the good news of the gospel, the next step is to repent and believe. Some people hear the gospel and they're like, that's awesome. But then they never actually repent, turn from the direction that they were headed and head towards the direction that God wants them to and then believe the good news of what that's in that gospel. If you repent and believe, then the next step would be to declare your allegiance to that new belief system. I used to believe in the government providing everything for me. I realized that was wrong. I repent now I believe that Jesus is going to provide every part of my life for me because he's my good father. That's, that is repenting, believing, and you declare that allegiantly. Hey, everybody out there, everybody in YouTube land, Steve Castle no longer has his allegiance in the United States government. I am wholly and completely allegiant to Jesus Christ and him alone. There's one king of the kingdom. I just declared publicly my allegiance. 
There are people in the body of Christ that's never done this. Do you know what baptism is? A public declaration to all the forces in all the world. I used to be allegiant to all of you. All of you. And now none of you count because I'm going in the water to die and I'm coming out a new creation in Christ Jesus and I'm wholly, completely, and only allegiant to Jesus Christ my King. And then the next step is to remain loyal and grow in trust. In Acts 2, verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You declare your allegiance to Jesus. He gives you the power to stay allegiant. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord, whom the Lord, Lord is Lord, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. You know if his generation was crooked, what's ours? Bent? You turn. Verse 41, so they received his word, so those who received his word were, they listened and obeyed. Were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. These folks that are, that are going to be baptized today, I want all of you as the witnesses to recognize that those are people that are giving up allegiances to some place in their life. Some of them may be giving up total allegiance to the enemy. Maybe they've never publicly declared their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ and as new creations in Christ Jesus, they are going to declare their total allegiance to Jesus Christ. But there are going to be some people that are going to be baptized who are giving up areas of allegiance that has snuck in and taken them captive. Evil taskmasters, wicked, darkened, lying entities that have taken them and made them submit to their will through deception and lies. It could be people that have allowed their marriage to get in the wrong place or their health or their finances or their relationships in some way that they've allowed the allegiance that they once had to Christ to wane or maybe they've never declared their allegiance in those areas and there will be people that are being baptized that are going to do that for that very specific purpose of empowering that place by giving Christ back the throne of that area of their life and you can do that wherever you are Whatever's going on in your life, you can publicly declare your allegiance, your loyalty to Christ in, in verbal aspects, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you can declare that. In fact, anybody that I baptize, they are going to declare. They're going to tell me, and Bob, they're going to tell us. We're going to be witnesses to what they're declaring that's dying in that water and never coming back out. What carcass are you leaving in this water? I'd say that almost every person. What's dying staying in this water? And then I'll come back to that person a year later. Hey, I thought that died. Well, 
I raised it from the dead. No, that's not the stuff we raised from the dead around here. Carcasses stay in the water. <laughs> and good people that accidentally, like Mark, you know, fall asleep before they should, you just wake them up, raise them from the dead. So there are going to be people that are going to be first time baptizies, baptists, tizies, baptizies. Ooh, my word of the day. You're welcome. We're writing a dictionary, Pastor Steve Castle words. So there are going to be people that are getting baptized that are going to be first time declarations of their loyalty and allegiance to Christ. And they're going to be people that have been baptized before that have lost some area of their life that they are going to recapture control off. They're going to put off the old self and put on that new self that's created in righteousness and true holiness. So please come and be part of the cloud of witnesses to watch this happen. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the beloved family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.